Paranoia, King Domino and The Good Place. This is Staying In. Oh my god. Listen. You right? I'm so- yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I lo- that I, lo- I do I do love it when the first words to come out of Pete's mouth are I'm sorry. But it's always but it's always when we're recording through like whatever food he's eating for dinner that evening. <laughs> That's true. That's I true. Li- I like I like your your term there through. It's not eating <laughs> with, it's just eating through it. Yeah. Well, the 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 reason the reason that I'm sorry is um I know that I, obviously we're doing our um we're going to do our secret center soon. Uh and yep. like I think everyone's chosen a relatively modest the word uh, you're thinking sort of, of is normal normal <laughs> choice because um, you guys were all like because obviously each year we do a secret center and we all buy each other a gift and uh, last well last time I asked for something silly which was a boxed retro game and this year I think we've gone you've all gone with books and I've gone with games again and I'd like but I think I think genuinely the a game based on a book or a game related to books. I think that that's an okay... I think there's a yeah. lot there to work with. Oh, definitely. Right? There's, there's, there's some really nice ones out there. Hmm. Well, is there... Well, there's this there's, there's Heart of Darkness. <laughs> there's, um, there's... I mean, there's Sin and Punishment. No, Crime and Punishment, Sherlock Holmes. Right. You know, there's a Sherlock Holmes games... Witcher is based on off of books. Bioshock is technically based off a book. Like, how deep do you want to go with this? Because exactly, exactly. Like, I, Blood Bloodborne is technically like the Lovecraftian kind of inspired. Do you want inspired, or do you want a literal translation of a book? Because there was that game that both you and I really enjoyed. What was it called that was based upon? Um, religious some religious texts and it oh, was almost El Shaddai. Stri- Pardon? El Shaddai, yeah. And it was based on religious texts and it was almost like a one to one translation of following the same story. So do you want that or do you want like inspired by That's the thing. I kind of wanted to keep it open because I was like I was like that sort of gives you a, a an opportunity to like be a bit creative and interesting with it. I guess because I, I didn't want to be like like last year, basically, where I was like, I want this. And I know that that was really difficult for you guys. No, no, no it was so, difficult for me. I was the one who had to do it. Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, but, well, to be honest, yeah. Dan, what did Dan, Dan's pick this year? He just put, I would like an interesting novel. <laughs> <laughs> but that's him, that's him helping out, isn't it? That's him saying, I'm helping you guys out by saying, just make sure it's interesting. Oh, no, but no, that's like a double-edged sword. Yeah, because what, what, I, yeah. Oh, no. See, to me, I've just finished reading um, Leviathan Wakes, the first book in the Expanse trilogy. Uh, I've just right. finished the first series. Yeah, and to me, that was super interesting because, like, it has a lot to say about humans and societies and segregation and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But for me, I don't think Dan would enjoy a 500 hard, 500 page hard sci-fi novel about yeah. a, a virus that, that turns people into like gloops of flesh. Yeah. Um, 
And it is novel that he's specifically after, isn't it? Yeah, that and yeah. a recipe book. An, <laughs> an interesting... I think it was also an interesting recipe book. There was another adjective in there, but I, I can't remember uh, mm. what, what be, it was. That'll be a difficult one. And, you, and, of course, you two want books as well. Yeah, uh, yeah but mine's... But, but ha, 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 again, this year... And the reason I've asked for a book this year is I realised that there was an, there's a, another couple of genres of book that, that I've never read. Right. So I've asked for either either slash or because the limit's 10 quid and really you can get two books for less than a tenner. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, All right. Uh, a self-help book. Yeah. Because I've never read one of those. Right. And slash or an historical novel. Like, you know how like... The history of self-help. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking more like like the siege of, you know... I don't know it, what it, famous it's pretty, sieges. It's, it's, it's pretty clear you've never read a historical novel, <laughs> yeah. uh, like um, Stalingrad or sure, you know, yeah. the Churchill years, something the, like that. The Berlin Trilogy by uh, whatever the <laughs> hell her name is. Um, yeah, okay, that's good. And then Chris, what are you after? I've asked for a classic novel written by a female author because right. I realise I've got a lot of novels and not many of them written by women. I haven't read a classic novel, like a classic classic novel for a while. The last one I probably read was A Hundred Years of Solitude. Which is just extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary so novel. Is um is there a reason that you think that you've not read like much by women? Because I, I must admit, like I've not read much by women, but that's mostly because I don't read. Um, well, I've so, read like, I've read lots of like in my job, I read a lot of like um academic books and articles yeah. written by female authors. Um, mm. But in terms of like fictional work, I, mind you, I don't really get that much time to actually read fictional stuff for pleasure. Mm. I just noticed I yeah. haven't really read much and. I kind of want to rectify that fact somehow. It's not a conscious thing. Yeah, that's it's cool. Just, uh, it's an unconscious thing and probably indicative of the system. But um, mm. yeah, I want to make more of an effort. And there's so many... When I say classic novels, it doesn't have to necessarily be like, um, you know, things like Northanger Abbey or um, Pride and Prejudice. Classic in the sense that it's, it's one of those novels for the ages, if you see what I mean. So would you class something like Harry Potter as a classic that's novel? That's becoming a beloved classic, isn't it, really? Um, but I think... Mm. Classic for me suggests something I would argue a little bit older. Um, a bit older than that. Mm. Um, but I think that will be that. So kind of like your yeah, kind of Don Quixote's um, Count of Monte Cristo. Don Quixote. Which, yeah, I, I think Don Quixote is the knockoff that you've been reading. Uh, 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 that's good. Um, Monte Don Quixote and his servant Sanchez Panzans. two weeks ago now but you guys were over my place yeah yeah it was your birthday and actually we should really we should really happy birthday to you happy birthday no, to oh, no, you no, no. happy birthday to chris yeah it was my birthday yeah, yesterday okay. Great. Oh. happy birthday to chris yeah. i mean in terms of we've already talked about what do you want to talk about your birthday because i want to kind of ask chris about his should we just get well, yours out of the I, way i don't want to talk first. about my birthday uh i wanted to talk about paranoia but we can oh. talk about. We should totally talk about Chris's birthday and what the big K has been doing on the day of his birth. Yeah, because well, okay. I guess we should talk about you finally running an RPG. Yeah. Hmm. And I also want to talk okay. about the gifts that you received, Pete, as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You can't really escape that now. No. Okay. Fine. Um, okay. Well, 
I got some lovely gifts for my birthday. Um, I received a wonderful food slicer. Uh, it's called uh, a mandolin. Because a knife technically is a food slicer. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, even a fork can do the job, <laughs> yeah. depending on the food. <laughs> or a spork. <laughs> a, a, a spoon, if you're hungry enough. Just your bare hands. We could carry on. Okay, so um, uh, got a lovely, uh, lovely mandolin because I'm going to make really nice thin root vegetable crisps because I am tired of big vegetable crisp corporations <laughs> charging me out the arse for uh, what I could make at home. So I'm going to do that. I got... What else do I get? Oh, gosh. Hmm. So long ago. Well, bloody hell, are well, they suddenly stuck into the mind. I th- so I think, the, ma- I think got... the main thing... I think the main yeah. thing that we want to talk about is the deep dish cake tin that I got you the Paul Hollywood one that I mean that's delightful but the thing that I think that you're edging towards uh, was the um, the the pinny the apron not a penny okay the apron let's call it an apron um which what I mean it is very good quality yeah. I will say this a very fine kitchen apron with which to do culinary activities I think that's with. to our friendship I think so. I think what's also a testament to our friendship is the number of photos of your faces that you've spattered all over it. Um, I don't know where you would get a custom-printed apron with photos of you on it. I mean, I'm, I mean, assuming it's the internet. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Great website. Yeah. Um, basically, we used images. So for all our kind of marketing, advertising stuff that we have for our site and on our Twitter page, where if you look at the top of our Twitter page at Staying in Pod, you can see our lovely shiny faces, beautifully photoshopped by your significant other and, mm-hmm. and contributed to this podcast, Alex. Those are basically the B-roll, the pre-photoshopped images, the raw footage right. of our guys, yes. of us yes. splayed across your torso. Yes. I mean, there is a photo of Sam looking up basically at my junk, yeah. which I think I mean, that's certainly the image that I want when I'm cooking. I'm like, hmm, does it need pepper? Who knows? Uh, one, well, it's definitely salty enough. Okay. <laughs> yes, so that was very nice. Um, mm-hmm. And on that day, yes. uh, or, or on the day that everybody was over, um, I ran Paranoia, which is the first time I've ever run an RPG. And it's a proper full-on RPG, isn't it? Yeah. Like, proper yeah. full pen and paper role-playing game. I picked it up because I thought... I always knew that I didn't I didn't want to do dread because I wanted to do something I wanted to expose you guys to something a little bit more like old school but mm. then we talked about Dungeons and Dragons maybe doing the starter thing for that but that nice podcast that you guys listen to the adventure zone yeah the adventure zone apparently that they go through the starter for that so I was like well that's kind of out I looked at Pathfinder I looked at um, a couple of other things and um, that kind of all felt a little bit like too much and then I thought you know what I have heard of another game called Paranoia, and that world kind of appealed to me. It's a world where there's the computer or friend computer that's that runs this underground city called Alpha Complex, and every, it's this dystopian future whereby everything is clean and automated and looked after by the computer, but everybody has to obey the computer's every whims and has to, otherwise they are deemed traitors by this computer that's kind of gone a little bit senile. It's not, it's not, it's, I kind of, when people were asking me about what kind of a character the computer is, I, I think, I always think of Hal from 2001. It's a okay. computer that it isn't being evil, it isn't specifically trying to hurt the humans, 
it is just trying to complete a set of routines that it has, and it's trying to do it in the way, the only way that it knows how to do it. It doesn't, it does, it's not trying to be evil because it's not trying to be good. It just can't comprehend either of those things. It's just trying to get, it's trying to work through the rules that it has. And this system, rather than Dread, which I really did like, which is a Jenga-based pen and paper role-playing game, uh, this is a dice-based RPG where you roll the dice to perform actions, which any RPG player will know, but you also roll something called the computer dice, and if you get a computer uh, on the computer dice, uh, then something interesting happens. So it's kind of it's classed as a success uh, or a failure, but it's an interesting success or an interesting failure. Uh, so yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, how did you find it? Like, it's kind of like a comedy, I guess, comedy RPG, but with some proper RPG elements of actually fighting. How did you find it? I enjoyed it. Um, it it smacked to me, for me, a bit of the um, Portal universe. This kind of yeah, um, where you had this, you took on the computer took on this role of something. Uh, you talk about the senile, the computer going senile, reminded me a bit of Wheatley, and mm-hmm. in that regard, um, I think what what kind of piqued my curiosity was how far we could push you. And retrospect, I don't feel that I kind of pushed you enough. I think I was very. It's amazing how quickly I kind of just just went along with what the computer said and was completely obedient. And mm. I'm talking to you well, afterwards was, was... about the possibilities in which we could we could have deliberately kind of um, gone against uh, your views because a lot of the uh, orders and objectives you gave us contradicted each other, which put us in difficult decisions in terms of how to rectify them so we can appease mm-hmm. both parties. And mm. that I found particularly interesting, actually. Well, well, it was quite interesting because you, like, as a as a player, as a person, you know what paranoia as a overall arc is going to be sort of heading towards, or you have the idea because throughout all of like literary culture and whatever, you know, we're brought into this idea of this utopian in uh, sort of quote marks universe where there's this computer that rules over everything and all our lives are governed by this one thing so we kind of i think we know as players going in that this is something we'll eventually be fighting against or trying to subvert in some way but what paranoia does which is quite interesting is that we are kind of born into this world as clones with no idea of anything other than following the computer's rules so as a player you want to subvert those rules naturally, but because you're role-playing, you would never have that inclination because that that part of the world is not fed into you yet. Yeah. So I feel like it'll be really interesting if we get to do like another another arc of that to see how either that will be slowly introduced to us and we will start actually be exposed to trying to subvert some of this... Um, sort of totalitarian society that we're part of or how we will increasingly become favorable towards the computer and fighting against things that we probably normally we'd be playing on the opposite side of which is Mm. quite interesting how we're kind of we're part of this one hive mind trying to play an rpg where usually rpgs are always about trying to be as unique and as subversive as possible yeah there's um so we played the first part of a three-part story which comes with the actual box set and in part two and part three that's definitely a theme that starts to come in so part two and part three start introducing mechanics that we didn't have time for so we, we played for about two or three hours and 
Uh, that was just the first part. And it fit quite nicely into that time, actually. But part two, part three, like we saw at the end of part one, uh, that whole new mechanic of um, uh, of how basically how combat works and uh, some of the intricacies of that. And that's definitely a, a theme that pervades throughout this beginner's story, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I've got to say, like, I found the setup of Paranoia really... Like, it was a lot of work in advance, and then once... Once you have the world in your head, which is a huge part of basically the core rulebook, it's mostly about here's here's the world, be free within it. Um, once I had that, when I started playing, the 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 role of the computer and the fact and the way that Alpha Complex is built to be completely under the control and mastery of the computer just meant that I could get us out of any situation that I didn't want us to be in. Like if you started to go okay. down down a route where it was like. I have no idea how I'm going to get us out of this. It was very simple for me to, you know, role play the computer to actually bring it all back on path again. Even though it's still just as free as you know any other RPG or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you guys liked it because I, I I would love to do uh, part two and part three at some point. And in fact, like it actually did give me the confidence and the a bit of the bug really to actually think about, you know, oh maybe once I get to the end of that, would that be something that I would be interested in continuing either playing. Uh, you know, another story that I can find on the net or something like that, or making my own, um, which well, is something that, that I was a little bit worried about with Dread. Because yeah. I was basically like, with Dread, I was like, I don't want to write my own stuff because I just don't think I'm creatively uh, creative enough to do that. But I think Paranoia's rules and yet flexibility on behalf of the, G- the GM actually kind of gives me the a, a little bit of confidence to go, do you know what, actually, I'm, I'm going to... I might give that a shot. I think what really interested me was the the um, security clearance thing. Well, so we were infrared, mm. which meant we were the kind of yep. lowest of the low. And yep. above that, I think was red. I'm correct yes. in saying. And our kind of supervisor in this kind of first part, Roz, was red. And I yep. think one of the reasons why I wanted to go with the computer's objectives was this idea in this kind of Machiavellian way that one day I would usurp her and get a yeah. higher clearance, mm-hmm. and where what doors that would open for me. It almost it almost reminded me of that kind of ridiculous nature of the Commedia dell'arte play, where everyone knows their place, and it's very clear to an audience outside who reports to who, who's above who, and the way they respond to each other. And, mm. and that kind of the kind of bureaucratic nonsense that you see in like Douglas Adams' work, which he kind of satirizes through science fiction and things. I quite like that. Who do you think, Chris, to keep a highbrow? Who do you think the Alakino was? What's an Alakino? The uh, so that's where we get the word Harlequin. Mm. All right, I thought you meant jalapeno, like. But we didn't have those now. See, I see. See, sometimes I try and keep it as highbrow as I can. I would say, I would say, because we were joined by Alex's dad, who played the yeah. character of Lurch. Yeah, there was something quite Harlequin-esque about him. Yeah, there was. He was great he fun was, to play with. Alex. Oh, he was. Yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant. Do, do we not remember all the cracking jokes that I told? You did some excellent. <laughs> so, so, so rolling to to see whether or not the joke was successful, I thought was, I thought was pretty good. Like to like trying to live in the mood, but that is paranoia. It's not that. What I loved about it, and what I really really appreciated you guys doing, was like really getting into it, not not being like, well, this is just going to be you know D and D, and I'm just going to fight mm-hmm. stuff. It was like going right. I want to use this skill, uh, uh, you know, to, to to try and get through this test. And in this situation, I'm going to try and be as 
forward thinking, like out there thinking as I can to resolve this situation in an interesting way. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that was absolutely amazing. And then yeah, like have and I think um, Tony, which is um, Alex's father, he he actually played one of the original editions of Paranoia. This this thing's been around for like twenty years or something like that. And he just got it. It was just like yeah, he took it was like so obvious. Yeah, um, yeah. I think my highlight for me, one of my highlights was the image of his character jumping, grabbing like an electrical cable dangling above and pulling it down onto this enemy that we were facing and just yeah. <laughs> literally giving himself third and fourth degree burns <laughs> and having to spend the rest of the game like with his hands in like oven gloves but but here's the, here's the other the other final thing I want to talk about because I really did I really just have thought about Paranoia a lot. The other thing I really love about it is that it basically has a lives system, and it means that you're not. You, I don't think any of you ever felt precious about taking a risk. Because no, no. it's like the antithesis of dread. Like dread is like, oh crap, we cannot do this because that tower is going over. Whereas paranoia is is basically, I've got five more clones left. I don't care. Yeah, sure. Like yank on that electric but, cable. But, yeah, I was killed, wasn't I? One of my cat clones was killed because he got kind of poked in the eye. But I can't remember who was that. <laughs> you, Sam, who poked me in the eye. That was me who poked you because because you we were coming up again and this is what i love about rpgs this 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 paragraph that i'm about to this scene i'm about to describe we were being faced by a team of makeshift pirates who were also who were using a table as a raft and they weren't convinced that we were pirates because we were like trying to sneak past them without um sort of getting into a fight so to convince them that we were pirates i shoved chris's character off the boat and forced him to um, oh no 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 that's right no, Chris I, was I, I trying consciously to... chose to get off the boat because I thought we were going to be attacked so I thought I'd hide so you were going to try and stealthily sort yeah. of sneak around their ship in anticipation of an attack so instead of you being stealthy we took advantage of you being at the back of the boat and kind of said look we're punishing this guy and then I was holding a mop and I was basically trying to go look oh, and I was just gonna, like trying to like gently tickle your fingers with the mop um, to like as a sort of sense of torture and going to these pirates like look look what we're doing to him isn't he a naughty boy but I rolled so badly that the basically I just stabbed you in the eye and you lost, you lost and because, an eye and because we weren't in water and I was a clone we were in what were we in what was the we weren't on water what, um, jam basically yeah it was red yeah, it was dessert red, red dessert topping and I couldn't swim so I drowned <laughs> with one eye in dessert topping because we didn't know that Alex spoke pirates and immediately <laughs> that placated them. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was very successful. And I must admit, I was very, very nervous going into that, thinking, oh, God, I, have I bitten off more than I can chew? Because I jumped in two feet for, first. But, I'm, but I, yeah, I think, it, I think it worked out really well. Um, and, and I've sorted out, uh, because now we've all done an RPG now. Yeah, whose so, turn is it next? Dan, isn't it? Um, well, um, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring, and I'm... Well, I guess it is an RPG, but the next time we all meet, we're playing Twilight Imperium. Oh, wow. Oh, yes! Fourth edition. Now, Sam, Please, for no, listeners... No, 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 Chris. Third? We're playing fourth edition. We're going to play third. third. Sam, yes. for listeners, Sam, for listeners who don't know what Twilight Imperium is, do you want to talk about how what this lights and fluffy micro game is about? I'm sorry, Sam. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this this game to to basically it's a it's a game of space diplomacy. You each play a race of aliens, and you have a modular board, and basically you 
Um, each round, you move your ships to claim different spaces on the board, to claim different planets, and you can fight between players, and you can sort of go for supremacy. But the main crux of the game is at the end of each round, this is as far as I understand it, at the end of each round, the, there's a meeting of the Galactic Council where between you and the other players, you decide uh, rules that apply to the universe that you're playing in. You decide laws that need to be brought in. You sort of sign peace agreements with other players on the team. So at its sort of basis, you have this kind of modular sort of um, space, like domination game. But really what it's the heart of is this, this really sort of well-structured and defined RPG where you're each, as a race, trying to build this universe and create this this thing inside this box. So games are said to last about, depending on the number of players, really about sort of five to eight hours. But yeah, because the fourth edition has just come out, the price of the third edition has literally just has halved. Yeah. So I think this is going to be the time where I jump on board and I've like read a lot about it and basically they've said from reviews of the fourth edition have just basically said that um, if you know you're only going to play this even once a year or you know it's just going to be a thing that you get out once once in a while like the third edition's all you need like you like the fourth edition is like 120 quid I've seen it in some places Oh my gosh um, so you've got that. So, Pete's got Space Hulk as well, which is that. Well, I haven't got it yet. No, I haven't got it yet. It's in transit. Okay. I'm just no, it's not even in transit. I haven't even ordered it. It's just an idea. It's but I'm pretty much after Christmas, and I've kind of got everything in order. Like I haven't bought I haven't bought a new board game in in ages. Just like nothing out there has really sort of tickled my fancy. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though there's a new Betrayal Legacy um, game coming out soon, which might be quite interesting, but. But yeah, this is this is the kind of thing that I think like the one thing in my collection that's that's really missing. Just and I think that we we get together like twice a year, maybe three times if we're lucky. And I just think that it could like Twilight Imperium could fo- could form a massive part of those get-togethers that we have, where we mm. value the time that we're playing and like being able to focus on one thing for like four or five hours. Yeah. is a really interesting idea and there's no pressure on anyone to like create an RPG or create rules and like stuff like that and from what I've read and seen about Twilight Imperium I just think it's right up our street and I even think Dan would really enjoy it as well because like a lot of the creation of like the characters is all there on the sheets for you so you don't have to worry about it and there's a lot of recognisable board game mechanics and then it's just yeah. what we bring to it makes the game Yeah. so I think that like he would really enjoy that as well so that, that that's the main reason why I'm kind of jumping on board because I think that like we more and more we value the time that we're spending together so yeah. I just think it would be nice to have something really meaty and weighty and just look like like once a year we all get together and we all play it and that's like our thing and I, I'm kind of in love with that like yeah. the romanticisation yeah. of that idea completely love it totally and do you know what's equal to that Sam? What? Rhino Hero Super Battle. Oh, yes. yes. Which is the gift I got from my birthday. I, I, Chris, straight up, like, when I bought it for you, and um, with Sam's suggestion that I buy it, I looked at it. When I got it delivered, I looked at it and I thought, I've bought the wrong game because it looked like a child's game, right? Looks like a game for babies. And well, then. It is a child's and, game. Well, yeah. 
So, and then we got it out the thing, and you started reading the rules, and you were like, oh, yeah, it's a dexterity game. And I was like, uh, because I've just, uh, something about me just immediately sees dexterity game and just thinks, nah. And then we started playing. Oh, my God, we started playing. Sam, what did we do? So, uh, Rhino, Rhino Hero Super Battle, uh, I think that's the full title. It is, is indeed, by Harbour Games. Um, is basically uh, an extension, the Super Battle version, of you will, of, of Rhino Hero. And I'm going to get the original Rhino Hero, which is a small box game uh, for when we all go away in uh, over, over Easter. Nice. Because it's basically a tinier version of Super Battle. So the original game is a very simple sort of card stacking game. You have cards in your hand that tell you how you're going to be positioning these sort of bendy pieces of card that fold in on themselves. And basically you put the roof on top of the card and then the next player puts their card on top and slowly this tower starts forming. So Super Battle is just a massive extension of that premise so whereas in rhino hero the original you're just building one singular tower like a skyscraper here you're building two to three buildings um, that are connected to each other and so on you go you have a you have like almost a hand of cards a hand of roof tiles that tell you if you're either going to build like just put down one small wall or two big walls or one big wall and one small wall and then you've got to place those walls and then you've got to put your roof flat completely horizontal on top of those walls that um, not necessarily the walls that you've just built but somewhere on this building mm. and then slowly as more and more people are playing and taking their moves slowly the tower gets bigger the tower gets taller and naturally it gets more wobbly and precarious and you've got little models of like everyone's each each player has got their own little superhero that they can move at the building because the idea is is that if the tower falls and you're at the top then you win um basically and so it's just a wonderful dexterity game but also quite a good puzzle game as well yeah mm. and it's a great centerpiece on the table i mean it looked yes. we were all taking pictures of it constantly so cool. the process you build this you build essentially like a, an apartment block and it's those lovely little details. Mm -hmm. So on the outside of the folded cards, you've got the windows with these various different animals looking out through it. I and mean, if you turn it on the inside, you can see the inside of their living room. And equally, as you're saying, the roof the roof <laughs> tiles on the on the top looking down, it's the roof. But underneath, you've got the lights of a corridor and somebody's yeah. flat and things. And it's just great, this kind of polymorphous space. And um, it's, it's quick, it's light, it's breezy, um, and it's just adorable. Great game. Absolutely I, I, I really recommend it for if anyone's played it's made by the same well it's published anyway um, by the same company who did Go Cuckoo which is kind of like mm. if staying in was to have like a recommended portion of the of the show like Go Cuckoo is like massively one thing that I would recommend I think we've all fallen in love with it very difficult to get hold of though but Rhino Hero Super Battle I've seen it in a lot of places it seems to be really readily available and like if if you get friends together and you're looking for the perfect sort of like nachos and dip and I know it's a bit <laughs> of a weird statement to say but like buddies and beers game just yeah, like yeah. something to kick off the evening then <laughs> there's really like no better game out there at the moment I think and just really light really fluffy like I really want to get hold of the original or even this edition to take away with me and my family when we're going away at Christmas it's just going to be right up their street like mm like introducing like a child like on the box it says ages 9 to 99 
and it's just like that just describes the game in a nutshell really and Rhino here is fantastic thank you for that Pete and thank you Sam for your recommendation I also got another adorable board game um, this one's King Domino designed by Bruno Catala and published by Blue Orange Games where um, essentially it's a tile laying game in a similar vein to the kind of uh, Tetris-like quality of Baron Park, which we played before with Sam. Um, oh, Chris! What have you seen? Have you seen the new expansion that's coming to Baron Park? No. How do you expand on a bear park, Sam? What do you do? Uh, monorails. Oh, do you know what? Perfect. Um, yeah. The um, just take a quick sidebar. So um, the expansion that they're currently playtesting basically gives you stilts to put on in to put in your park and then you can create a little monorail that sits above the actual park that that's you're amazing making. it's like rhino yeah, hero anyway that sounds amazing that <laughs> reminds me of a game that is a roller coaster designing game where you actually have it ends with you actually putting a marble down it actually just seeing the roller coaster works and there's a loop the loop as well and things pretty cool <sighs> that pretty sounds cool. great um so yeah king domino um it's basically a game in which everyone has their own little castle and a little central tile, and you you nominate um, from a selection of particular tiles of different terrains, and and you um, eventually create a five by five grid with your castle either in the centre of it, but it has to be within this five by five grid, and you are you basically score, you get points depending on how many of the same terrain interconnect, and there are crowns on them, and you multiply the number of crowns on your tile by the number of pieces. So very mm. easy, very easy scoring mechanic, very light and breezy. I think it's part of um, what we like to create, call our breakfast game, Oeuvre. I think it is a perfect breakfast game. It's very light. It could be. You can converse mm -hmm. freely when you're playing it. It doesn't take much kind of mental thinking. Uh, me and my uh, partner, we've, we've been playing it kind of often quite late at night when, um, you know, we've got it from work quite late, say, for example. It's a perfect game to kind of take off your shelves if you're not in the mood for something dexterous like um, Rhino Hero. Take off your shelves. Yeah. Literally, just we literally rip the shelves off the wall. <laughs> I think. I think what there's the the interesting thing about King Domino is kind of you've got this. Um, I missed this phrase earlier when I was talking about Twilight Imperium. What, what's it called? Where you you dominate space and whoever has the most space gets the most points. Area control. Area control. Bloody hell! It essentially, is an area control game, but it's done through drafting. So the main the main sort of appeal when we play because we played King Domino first in Chance Encounters in Bristol didn't we Pete and yes we did both Lisa and I pretty much everyone around the table went this is right up Chris's alley like yeah. the artwork the 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 very simple idea that all you're doing is joining together different regions of tiles that's immensely groups. satisfying that feeling isn't it yeah but also there's a depth behind it which is created by this drafting mechanic that if you're the first person to pick up a tile, then you become the last person to pick up a tile on the on the next round. So it means that you can't always, it means that you have to play a game of thinking down the line of, right, I want that tile next time. So mm. I've got to make sure that I go what position this time in the order to make sure you get the tile you want further down the line. So this constant battle between you and the players really brings the game up because it could be a very sort of solitary everyone's got their heads down everyone's kind of focusing in on what they're doing kind of game but because of this drafting mechanic where you're always competing against the other players around the table to get the tiles that you want to complete your board means that you're always kind of like I love the action of like perching and looking over at your 
um, the other players' boards and go, right, they're wanting, they're going to want more river tiles next turn, so I can either be really mean and take that really tasty river tile or, you know, try and block them by going going in another direction. I think that's what really lifted it for me mm. and what I really enjoyed, that and the fact you get to create your own little... 3D castle at the start. That was cool. It's a, it reminded me a bit of Sushi Go when you can kind of you look over yeah. and see what the strategy of the other person around the corner is thinking. Oh yeah. And you go, actually, yeah, could, so shall, I, you shall take... I let them carry on and finish that collection? Or do I dick them over? Even though I don't need that yeah, piece, yeah. I stop them from taking it. But... Do you take the tempura prawns? Just even though you don't need them to stop them getting mm. the points that they need. Yeah. But it's one of those great games where you could just play it by chance. And just go, oh, I'll just pick mm-hmm. anything and just see what I get at the end and just get that satisfaction of completing your puzzle of five by five and it tessellates very yeah. neatly and stuff. Or you could literally, as you say, Sam, just think more deeply about it and strategize. That was great. And the setup's so wonderful as well. Like everything is in the box that it comes in. Yeah. And basically the whole game is emptying the box. And once the box is empty, the game is finished. And then you just put everything back in the box again. Yeah. And then it's ready to start. And I think there's literally no setup time. The only setup time is just building your castle. It's such a it's such a clean, efficient game. It did win the Spiel des Jahres, didn't it? Well done, King Domino. Yeah, you're right. I know. Well done, everyone. <laughs> well done, everyone. As if they need us to tell them well done. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're waiting for that pat on the back from us. No, great fun. I know there's a sequel that's come out, Queen Domino, which is a little bit yeah. more thinky, apparently. I think it adds in a few other... I think there's some dice involved with it. And, but I think we do really love simplicity. And, like, again, if I was... Ta- if With my family over Christmas, if I, I was taking this away, then, you know, I'd, it's just another game that I really think they would all enjoy. You were sort of saying, oh, The Good Place. What The Good Place. Is that, like, a, a mental place? Is that, like, a philosophical place? <laughs> it, it's... This this will be very quick because the more I talk about the good place, the more I risk kind Spoiling of ruining it. what it is. Okay, right. But the good place is a new uh, comedy from Michael Shaw, the guy who brought us uh, Parks and Rec and okay. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh, that sounds already like it is a thing I would uh, I would enjoy. You would. You would absolutely love it. And the the premise of the show is that the good place is a colloquialism for heaven, essentially. Okay. And the and the show starts with the main character, played by Kristen Bell, um, waking up in the good place, and she's died, and now she is in the good place. And Ted Danson is on absolutely phenomenal form as the guy who's like designed this neighborhood that she lives in and like shows her around and the twist of the of the first episode is that Kristen Bell's character is the wrong person they've got the wrong person and she realizes that Uh. she does not belong in the good place oh and then the series goes from there so from that sort of Example, it like sounds like your very sort of typical mm-hmm. person in the wrong situation fish sitcom, you know. Yeah, fish out of water sitcom. But really, the good place goes in directions you will not believe. Like it is really worth just like not only is it funny, but from about episode four, five onwards, like it really starts to take like really 
exceedingly good tangents and goes in directions and like thought experiments on ethics and philosophy and sort of even the meaning of life and like it, it that's the thing like i can't talk about it because the hmm. more i'm at liberty to ruin actually what happens in the show and that reveal and that sense of my god they're actually yeah yeah they're they're actually doing this it's just so enjoyable that oh. you really just have to experience it and each episode is like 25 minutes so you really get that it's on netflix quick. isn't it yeah and it's yeah, just been commissioned so, for a third season, hasn't it? I'm not surprised. And it's got Michael Shaw's great writing. Like his, he's, he's just got a really good ear, um, which is kind of a strange turn of phrase, but he's kind of got a good ear for like funny turns of phrase and things like that. Like right. one of the my one of the most enjoyable things about Brooklyn Nine Nine is like how the characters talk to each other and um, the patter that they have and their own sort of sense of colloquialisms. Yeah. And he just does great stuff in the in the good place, like um, swearing's outlawed. So every time that Kirsten Bell character tries to like swear, she says shirt instead of sh- shit and fork instead of fuck. Right. So like as she's getting more exasperated with her situation, like just that simple mechanic of she can't express herself how she wants to, it's just it's just really really funny. And yeah, the yeah I can't carry on enthusing about it because you've really just got to watch it oh, and have to carry on i think one of my favorite sequences is very early on i think it's in the first season where Kristen bell's character she asked ted danson who's this as sam says the architect of this version of the good this place in the good place she says well mm-hmm. which of the religions got it right and he said well yeah. they were kind of all a bit some of them got bits of it right the closest guy was this bloke here and they've got like an oil painting of him on the wall and basically he was a bloke he got himself absolutely baked completely stoned <laughs> And he got a 92 point something percent exact match based on what he saw while he was stoned. And they have like a picture of him on the wall. He's like, a, he's kind of like memorialized before that. Yeah, and Ted's like, I'm really lucky to have that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I think, I think you and um, Alex would really, really enjoy it actually because it's oh, cool. really uplifting as well as like just a, as a really nice watch. Um, right. which is kind of what I'm into at the moment. It's one of the reasons why I bought Watch Dogs 2, because I was wanting a, a game that has lots of colour and is really vibrant. And yeah. The Good Place does that really well. Like It's a really vibrant show. It's like really colourful. It pops off the screen and the comedy matches that. That's so cool. I recommend that. It reminded me, actually, The Good Place, of those, early, those few early seasons of Community, where it would always have a kind of uplifting ending where they'd learn, kind of, they'd learn a bit more about each other. And, you know, right. It's kind of... But this one sounds. It's, this has got like you know, this is like Western philosophy kind of distilled into it. And you, you've yeah. got literally a character trying to teach, who was like a professor of ethics when he was alive, teaching Kristen Bell how to be good through ethics, yeah. you know, and philosophy. So you'll love it, Pete, because they talk about Aristotle and Kant and all that. Kind oh of stuff. yeah! Like, what is it to be good? And oh, that's my that's my jam. Yeah, I I actually would quite like to. No, okay. Why you aren't really? You sound like you're not really enjoying Watch Dogs at all. Yeah, so I had a big, I had a big clear out, and I had some credit at the good old um, sex shop, and uh, yeah, okay, yeah, took me a second there. CEX. Yeah. Yes. So I, I kind of, I, I wanted something colourful in my life, and well, I wanted to get The Last of Us remastered because I've had a, a hankering to play that game. Mm-hmm. For, for ages so I picked that up 
I thought I'd pick up a couple of other things. I picked Deus Ex, um, the most recent one, Mankind Divided, and Watch Dogs 2 because I'd heard loads of good things and it was really colourful and it's a really bright neon game and that kind of suits my palette at the moment of things things that I'm enjoying. But it's a we it's such a weird game. Like it I think it's a sign of my age that the my biggest problem with it is its approach to its own ethics and morals. Right. Okay, what well, let's explore what was that. It, what was it I said what hang on, we we were talking about this the other day on WhatsApp Pete. All right. And and I put it more succinctly in a in a sentence that um um I'm struggling with its moral ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, I I read that and I was like, I think Sam's having a day. Um, what I, I, I'm I'm because we we talked very briefly before about how, like I personally find it very difficult to get excited about historical war. I find that morally a little bit difficult. Yeah. Um, so is that is so, it along those lines or? Kind of. Like, if we take it back to, like, Memoir 44, even though that's advertised as the game of the D-Day landings, like, it it gets over that by actually really, with every single scenario that you play, giving you a, a quite a really deep understanding of what happened on those days and okay. what both sides of the war went through mm. to achieve what they did. So it kind of earns. I, th- I think there's a bit of a moral hurdle to get over, but it but it earns it essentially. However, with Watch Dogs Two, it has all the symptoms of a game that is trying to achieve something with its moral objectives, but it ultimately suffers from being a Ubisoft open world game. Basically, what I mean by that is there are guns and you can kill people like right so and this is my big problem with it is the fact that you play marcus and you are the first thing you do when you get in the game is wipe yourself from the servers of this big national corporation which controls everything in san francisco everything is connected by computers mm. your whole life is tracked and you wipe yourself from the servers, and that is your initiation into DeadSec, which is this very high ethical um, hacker organization, a bit like Anonymous is the closest representation that we have to it in, in our life, I guess. Um, and they're on this crusade to free the people of San Francisco from the trappings of this organization, which are basically running all the parts of their lives and controlling everything and doing really really shady stuff so that's the main conceit however there's this part of it where you're also encouraged well not encouraged is the right term but you can build guns and you can run people over and there's no consequence really or reference to you doing that from any of the characters or any of the narrative and that the more I've played it, the more that's played on my mind that I'm meant to be playing this really ethical person, this person that's got this moral standing that wants to fight against this injustice and do it using the tools, using almost non-lethal tools, like you hack your way around the city and 
um, you give people like you the first gun you have is a stun gun but then you always end up going around these stealthy areas just being shot at and the game is kind of like well if you want to fight back then you shoot at them too and like just when everything descends into a gunfight and people are just you know it just feels like every other game and do you need do you need your own chidi chidi yeah i do i just just, it's just like the game does loads of things right and it does loads of the approach of its gameplay is really really interesting like Mm. it's assassin's creed and far cry but you can hack everything in your build and there's loads of like really nice moments like you can send cars zooming like you're driving down the highway for example and you can you come to like there's two cars in front of you you can control both cars so they turn one turns left and one turns right creating a path for you in the middle but both those cars crash one of them falls off a cliff into the water and there's no yeah ethical reper- repercussions for like having that action and it, and it feels to me that you're you become no better than the corporation that you're trying to stop having such control over people's lives now, and i get the feeling that mm. the people who've designed it put that in to be like ha 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 isn't that funny like you controlled that car and crash but there's no thought for the person who's actually in that car and i don't know if that's me being hypersensitive to it or there's a bit of ludo narrative dissonance between um, the character that you actually are and what you're actually trying to achieve and the way that you're trying to do it. I was going to say, like that feels exactly like what you're running up against because whenever a, a video game tries to tell a story that has some sort of moral or social implication, mm-hmm. as soon as you, as soon as its video gameness comes in. Uh, yeah. you it, all of that all of that ethical questioning goes out the window do you like so this is why well, we saw this with I mean both of the recent Grand Theft Autos right like GTA 4 you're constantly being told that your character is like I just want to get away from this like this run of life oh but yeah. actually let me go and mow down another 40 people and GTA mm-hmm. 5 is 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 exactly the same kind of oh I'm a retired gangster and I don't want to do this oh but actually I'll go ahead and do this and oh my t- children are absolutely terrible but look at me murder a bunch of people there's there's kind of that I think video games that want to dabble in any sort of critique of society run that risk uh, I actually ran up against this myself recently. I was playing Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Oh right. Now, now I love Mirror's Edge, and I and the actual gameplay of Mirror's Edge Catalyst was excellent, uh, much better than the original. But the original is more subtle in how it is talking about the society that Faith is a part of. Like it doesn't ever actively come out and say isn't this stuff awful it just lets you look at this very empty clean world and say oh this is a this is a strange universe to be a part of whereas <laughs> whereas mirror's edge catalyst i mean it's so in your face with the fact that you are this anarchist group that it 
it just hammers it home all of the time. Look at this terrible corporation. Look at what they are doing. Look at capitalism running wild. Brought to you by Electronic Arts. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's so, it's bananas. Like, again, it's it's that thing of, it's all very well to to make a statement on what a on on the society around you but you also yeah. have, kind of have to take into account things like you know in mirror's edge it's all about like the end game is basically go and collect a load of clothes like like what what watchdogs 2's approach is so radical in terms of the, a video game like its approach to um gender and gender identity and um, uh, sort of uh, sexuality and and sort of celebrity lifestyle is so like you know on point and it deals with all these things really well and then you're yeah. kind of expected just to go into a compound and mow down people <laughs> like with and it's just I you know I I was driving on the street and like I accidentally just lost control of the car and killed someone, and it was just like I'd, I'd felt really bad for it. I was just like, "What? What? What am I doing? I'm meant to be this character who is trying to stand up for doing something good in the world, mm. and I can't." And the it feels like the tools just aren't there in the moments because basically, how sort of Watchdog Two is kind of structured, and this is the other reason why I'm not really getting along with it. It's essentially that. You have the the tools in your hands to hack things and and uh, take control of items to basically get into these little segregated areas, puzzle areas, and you kind of a bit like the what they called in Far Cry the um, like the outposts. Yeah. Like and essentially you spend your time circling the outposts, thinking right, what's my approach here? And I and I always think of right, I want to take a non-lethal, stealthy approach. And it's so so difficult. Like mm -hmm. there, there is no the the guards don't really have a clear cone of sight. You don't know when they're like looking at you. They they are so quick to just get their guns out and just leap on you. Yeah. So you either take my approach, which is just run away, wait for it all to die down, and then come back again, which makes me feel like I'm cheating the game. Yeah. Somewhat, and not the highfalutin, really stealthy, cool ass hacker that I'm meant to be. Or I grab a minigun and a sniper rifle and pick everyone off and just clear out the area, and then I'm no good than everyone else. And even and and it just this game is just really like it's it's gotten to me because I'm still playing it because the writing and the sense of identity and its sense of place within the world that we're living today and and what it's trying to say is so interesting. But I don't know whether I'm just gonna have. I don't know whether I'm just better off watching a let's play um, than I am actually trying to engage with something. And like, yeah. I feel like Deus Ex is probably more the game that I want, where you actually is trying to say the same things about society in a different way, but through th different gameplay mechanics. I'd be really interested to see how you get on with Deus Ex because I, 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 yeah. I, I think I ran into some of those similar issues with that game, but I, I'll be really oh, interested to see how, how see how you get on with that. But I mean, uh, just on that, and I know I, I know I'm a massive Assassin's Creed apologist, but one of the things about that I think Creed has always got right is that when you do things that are not 
heroic when you do things that are not in keeping with the the uh, the the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. The game desynchronizes and just says, "No, no, no, yeah. that 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 can't be how it happened because Altair wouldn't have done that." Yeah, and uh, I, I think that it's a it's a it's you know that that universe is often laughed at a little bit because I mean for good reason, but also uh, because I think it, it has all of this sort of phony baloney technology stuff. But I think that that does at least keep the player in check a yeah. little bit, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is which I think is really good. As you guys all know, uh, wedding planning is is going forwards. It's Good. onwards. We're marching towards. We've paid our first. The registrar is booked. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, as in we've paid like the first deposit for someone to okay. come and like marry us. <laughs> Does it feel weird just, to say that? It's so weird, like to have to <laughs> almost force pay someone to come and just sign a. Mm. Did you ever contemplate asking one of us to, you know? become officiated um, and then we could yeah but um, that would be incredible we'd, we'd still have to pay to actually make it official Happen. yeah we'd still have to go to a ca- little council office somewhere and sign right. a piece of paper okay um, even if one of you guys do it as far as I understand the procedure goes I don't know I've not done it before okay and uh, the venue's all sorted um, which is all very excited but now we are on to the food we are making decisions about what food that we would like bit. you all to eat. Beautiful. The very, very important bit. Yeah. So we had a catering meeting yesterday. A catering with- meeting? <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, On the agenda. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when are we getting a copy of the minutes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's, it's a massive thing because, like, in terms of our wedding budget... It's probably going to be over half of the money that we spend on everything. Just for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's the you. problem. Um, they were like, does anyone you know have any dietary requirements? And we're like, no, no, actually, we're all pretty flexible, except for Chris. He just needs, like, more than everyone else. <laughs> <Round the clock. laughs> yeah. is that, Chris, is that what you put whenever you're, like, getting on a booking a flight and stuff? Like, dietary requirements, just in quotes, a lot. Well, my partner Double. and I, we, when we eat, we actually our recipes. We always cook. <laughs> when, my, when my partner and I, we we cook, we cook. We always cook for four people. We, we do servings for four. That's standard, really. Four people for the two of us. Your your food bill and budget. This is me, like I'm, ass- I'm assuming. I'm assuming, Chris, it's three for you. Yeah. Lisa's making bolognese tonight, and I know that's going to be like a couple of dinners for the next couple of nights nice. because we eat like normal people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, one 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 of the exciting things and one of the great things about like meeting with caterers is we get to go to tasters tasting days. Oh, nice. So in a couple of weeks' time, I think next week maybe we've got our um, first tasting evening where we've picked a few things, like a, a, a few starters. I think we'll try some canapes as well, a few mains, and a few desserts. And as far as I understand it from the meeting that we had yesterday, they make full per- portions of each thing that we've chosen. So we see what it actually looks like when it gets on the plate rather than little actually tasters. So yeah. Lisa and I will be expected to, well, we won't be expected to, yeah. but we will be presented with three whole starters between the two of us, three main dishes between the two of us, and then three desserts to nice. eat as well as canapes. That sounds nice. amazing. I know. 
I think you should just get married, Chris, just for the. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting married. Uh, yeah. That sounds like wedding tapas. <laughs> so yeah. what's so what's on the menu? What, what like what's what's? This is going to feel strange to say because it's still going to happen, but we don't want a traditional, like sit down three course meal. Okay. Like, we want as much as possible for the food that we have to encourage as much sort of social activity activity between the people on the table that are sitting there. Right. So just one set of cutlery per table. That'll do it. <laughs> can, I, can I have the fork, please? Yeah. Um, uh, Pete's there with his mandolin, just like slicing <laughs> up the potatoes for everyone. Um, but it's like we we've been to we we went to one wedding where the main meal was each table had a tagine so it wasn't like everyone just sits down and then someone puts a plate of food in front of them and then people eat it and then someone takes that plate of food away we like this idea of there being something in the middle of the table and people are just like sharing and oh, that's like really nice. it out and, yeah you I know mean, that in, something to encourage conversation we went to another wedding where the dessert was each table just got a pavlova Nice. Oh my gosh, that sounds. I mean, I, I can I just can I button again? Just, just it's important I tell you this now. But it was my birthday yesterday. My lovely partner made me a tagine for just the two of us, and a, a whole. I mean, that's pie. the best. I mean, she knows you so well that the, the best birthday present you can get, Chris, is a four-course meal just for him. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a meal whole, for four people. It was a whole people. packet of chicken thighs in there. Chris, <laughs> Chris. I mean, when you say a packet of chicken thighs, the chicken's only got two. So do you mean like... It was like six. Jesus, Chris! That is so much food! You're like a star. You just burn yeah. energy. It just like emanates <laughs> off of you. Oh, God. Um, so the, men the menu's not finalised yet, but the, the, the idea is that obviously we want it to reflect us and the food we like as well. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that you talk about with the catering meeting where it's kind of like it's our day so it's not just like the decoration and the music will be and our friends and family will be a reflection of us but also the food's quite an important part of yeah. that Yeah. Um, so we don't just want like a chicken and a fish dish or whatever so yeah. like we think that the main will be something Thai orientated oh, or lovely. sort of Middle Eastern because that's the kind of food that we eat all awesome. the time. Awesome. Really nice. um, so, and we, the place that we're going to next week offers like a make your own sundae as the dessert option. Oh. So the idea is, is that everyone gets ice cream and then in the middle of the table it's just like a mixture of loads and loads of different toppings. So we're gonna, so we're gonna like choose what toppings what you want. So we're literally getting loads and loads of toppings. S and Sam, did you notice? Did you notice Chris's eyes just then? They did, <laughs> like, like, like you can see that you can see that like conscious level Chris went away, yeah. and then in in his mind he was like, it was like Scrooge McDuck, Pete. but jumping into a big vault of ice Pete, cream. I, I, I could make it, I could make it, I could make it even better. Another another option that that we might that we might try out from one of the caterers was is the idea that we have three stalls uh, dotted around the room and each of them is a different offers a different cuisine of food so there's like a Thai stall a Middle Eastern one oh, and like cool. an Italian one that's and awesome. so basically you can go up and visit these stalls at any part during the the main part of the evening that'd be so good 
That's amazing. So Chris is just there, just like, <laughs> just counts, just moves, just like shuffles his table next to a store yeah. and just like sits there. Just like, I am going to bankrupt this company. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Oh, I really love that, yeah. Sam. It's an idea. I think that's yeah, really it's great. <laughs> and then we've got evening food as well, which I think is pretty much going to be fish finger sandwiches. Yeah. So nice. Just give me a baguette <laughs> <laughs> and some sea bass. Yeah, <laughs> battered sea bass whole. Nice. <laughs> Just a whole bottle of tartar sauce. <laughs> <laughs> That was Staying In with Sam Turner, Peter Willington and myself, Chris Darby. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to the various things we've covered in this episode. And also, come find us on Twitter at StayingInPod. Also, really excitingly, we're now on Spotify. So if you yourself are a Spotifyer, please do care to follow us. Well, it's been over an hour and I haven't eaten, so I better go and sort that. Bye.